When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Football Social Daily Premier League Podcast. Van Dijk was dismissed, but Darwin did the damage as Liverpool came from behind with 10 men to win at Newcastle. Everton's sorry start to the season was worsened by Wolves and Fulham bookended their trip to Arsenal. Goals that will grate on the Gunners. The weekend's big Premier League talking points all to come on today's show including one former referee admitting he deliberately avoided making a decision to stop his mate getting more stick. And of course, the transfer window is almost at an end as well. Will Salah still be a Premier League player by the end of the week? This is Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. My name's Niall, and thanks for joining us on today's episode. There are new shows through the week focusing on English top flight football. So if you hit follow or subscribe, that way you'll be notified as soon as a new show is released. Now, we mentioned last week on FSD that we are just in the middle of a few changes behind the scenes. So do bear with us. One thing we've had to factor in is everyone going on their holidays pretty much at the same time. And it was a day's national holiday in the UK yesterday. So that's why you're hearing from us on a Tuesday rather than a Monday. But finally, we've got the full crew back together as with me on the podcast today, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. How are you doing, boys? Good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever it is. Wherever you're listening, whatever it is, if you're stuck in an airport around uh, <laughs> around the world because you can't go back to the UK, we've managed it. But uh, yeah. Just going to say good afternoon and um, apologies on Marley's behalf after having getting drunkenly dragged off a plane, which is why he was uh, absent on Friday and Thursday. <laughs> well, you should be apologising for getting Football Social Daily put into Twitter, Jay. <laughs> if anyone's seen this on Twitter, I need to explain this because I didn't put anything vulgar. It was it was a tweet about Uncle Ben's rice and basically saying how Declan Rice has the same value as a packet of Uncle Ben's rice. Obviously, <laughs> Arsenal fans didn't like that and put me in the Twitter bin. Twitter jail, whatever it is. So now I'm handing the reins over to the social, <laughs> the social holder that is Marley. Because if I touch the tweets again, I think we're actually gone for good. I make, I make it look so easy, Joel. That's what it is. I've I've managed these no, channels for like four or sorry. five years now. I'm sorry, but if everyone's listened to this for a good amount of time, Marley makes enemies like it's the movie, the movie 300 with Nottingham Forest fans. Who else have you made argu- arguments <laughs> with? You probably Everton made fans don't like me Newcastle much. fans. Like, everyone's onto Marley. I put a harmless tweet about Uncle Ben's rice, and they don't like it all of a sudden. What did Uncle Ben do to football? What? Never take on the Arsenal fans. They're, they're too strong. You need, yeah, you too need many some serious them, weight behind yeah. you if you're going to go for the Arsenal fans online. We all know they're the kings of Twitter, so... That's uh, lesson learned on the, that one. The thing that annoyed me it wasn't even a good joke. <laughs> it was a crap joke, Joel. Too and you got to be fair, put in the bin for it. It got a bit of traction, to be fair, but they didn't like it. So I take, I take, uh, I take Elon's um, slap on the wrist. Well, we're out of Twitter jail now. We're all back on the podcast. Marley's been in Greece. I've been in Ireland. Joel's been in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Alcatraz. So we're finally back, and as we always do at the start of a new week. We like to do Get In The Sea, which is our chance to have a wine and a whinge 
about what's happened over the weekend, anything that's happened during games or maybe decisions or comments made by managers that have annoyed us. So let's get things off of our chest to start the week, boys. We'll come to you first, Marley. What's your getting the see this week? Go on then. Um, it's not going to be the, um, the 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 listener that had a go at me for Liverpool beating Newcastle the other day. Um, <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. We, we will sorry, come on Sarah, to it a bit I'm later. I'm not going to. I'm going to rise above you right now. Um, now, my my the one that uh, that wound me up at the weekend was it was a funny moment, but only because uh, James Madison made it funny. Uh, so what can go in the sea is the Bournemouth fans giving James Madison stick um, by chanting. Oh, are you, have you got the bleep button ready? All right. South gets right, you're f***ing And I was like, hang on a minute. You're 1-0 down to Spurs. James Madison has scored the goal. and you're. But you've came up with a rhyme. So you're going to chant it. Like, I get the chants and, and like, it's a, it's a bit of banter. It's part of football, but... Choose your moments. Like you're one nil down, he's just scored, and you, oh, he's crap. Yeah, Southgate's right. Yeah, he's crap. Like he's not crap. He's cost forty million, which is more than your entire stadium cost. And uh, would well, you want them to ch- chant Southgate's right? You're really nice. Ch- nothing. Chant nothing. Be humble. <laughs> well, just, well, it's not a mock. Choose your moments. Let him, let him chant what they want to chant. Nah. Well, to be fair like... though, James Madison was in a protective boot last week. Nobody knew if he was going to be fit for the weekend. He is fit, he scores, and he's been so good for Spurs since he's gone there. I mean, I don't want to be too disrespectful to one of the smallest clubs on the South Coast, but have they ever had someone play for England? Was, Callum Wilson was... not get called up while Wilson? he was there. But even still, Maybe. far and few between, isn't it? Just thinking. Keep just wind your necks in while like while you one nil down. Like. His reaction to it was quite good though, wasn't it? Where he moved the ball from that's the, actual... the best thing. He just like, right, was like, right, okay, I'm clearly in your heads, and he just moved moved the ball about a yard outside the quadrant, and the the chant just stopped because they all went, ah, oh, he's moved the ball. It's like the linesman <laughs> is three inches away from him, like he's seen it. He's he knows you're trolling, but they, he he had him on strings. It was it's quite funny. I do I really like James Madison. I think he's he's. Such a rare sort of fella who has a personality, and most of most of uh, footballers are just, you know, washed, aren't they? In terms of when they talk to the media, they're so plain, so boring, yeah, so media trained. And Madison's uh, actually quite funny. So as long as he keeps them on strings, doesn't have to be Bournemouth fans, can be any fans, as long as it's not Newcastle <laughs> fans, because then I'll uh, then I'll come back. <laughs> uh, two players from AFC Bournemouth in the history of ever played for England. Lewis Cook got a cap in 2018. Don't remember he that. He crossed my mind, actually. Yeah. And Callum Wilson got four caps between 2018 and 2019, obviously prior to his move to Newcastle United. But Bournemouth giving James Madison stick, considering they've not really produced a lot of England players over the years. I think you're right. It's a little bit rich coming from them, to be honest with you. All right, Marley's throwing Bournemouth fans in the sea for this weekend. There's one person I've got to have to throw into the sea. It's Mike Dean. Now, it's not Mike Dean for being the centre of attention or trying to make everything all about him, as he often used to do when he was a active referee. But now he's retired. He's obviously been doing the media rounds. I think he features quite a lot on Sky now. And he admitted over the course of the weekend that a game a couple of years ago in which, it might have even been last season, in which Kukurea had his hair pulled. I think it might have been Chelsea against Spurs. He was VAR and Anthony Taylor was the referee. Mike Dean deliberately missed the pull on Kukurea's hair because he said, in his words, he didn't want his friend Anthony Taylor 
to get any more grief because he's already had quite a bad game. Now, we've spoken about VAR for the last two weeks of the Premier League season. The first two match days, we've been speaking about VAR on this segment, getting the siege all. And I'm not going to lie, it's not really a great indicator as to how VAR is operating behind the scenes. If you've got one of your senior senior officials of the last 15 years of Premier League football coming out and saying that he deliberately didn't make a decision because he was protecting his friend. It's madness that when you think about it. And if, let's say, we put ourselves in that position, I can also kind of agree with it not I don't agree with it but I can kind of understand it in a sense as well because let's not forget these guys are almost like in a bubble where they get absolutely killed after every game and they don't want to further put their friend in the firing line if they are to get a decision wrong but then it just brings the game into disrepute does it not because if there's a clear and obvious decision that actually needs to be said, you can't be thinking in your, your first thought in your mind is, oh, actually, it's, um, it's you know, I can't remember the names of them all. Clattenburg, he's the one upstairs. I, can't, I, I like Clattenburg. I can't let him be in the firing line today. It needs to be, well, is this, this decision right or wrong? That's the main crux of it all, isn't it? So it's annoying because three, three games into the season already and every single game I'm seeing... So and so club is going to launch an appeal to PGMOL every single game, and it's happening constantly now. Why is it? Why is it suddenly gone so bad? Is it the change in rules? Is it the fact that like everyone's saying referees are being more defensive with each other? I don't know what the sudden change is because it didn't feel this alarming and this wrong mm. going straight into a season. But how are we supposed to trust VAR now that you've got someone who's been a senior match official? For the last, I guess Mike Dean was a referee for a good 15 years. I think he refereed our FA Cup final against Cardiff. That was in 2008 and he only retired last year. So it's at least 15 years, probably more, that he's been a referee. How am I supposed to trust VAR officials now, Marley, if I know that they're all in a brotherhood like what Joel says? And I understand that you don't want to see your mate get stick and you don't want to see your mate get abused. But surely you want to get the right decision because that will stop your friend getting grief which is what Mike Dean was worried about in the first place. Yeah, this is uh, it's the latest lo- latest in a long line of Mike Dean baffling decisions. I Look, he's he's, a, he's long had a reputation as he, of he, of someone who has to be the center of attention and I feel like this is just it's just the latest example of it. I I would question why why Mike Dean as a serving VAR official is allowed to be on a broadcasting company and be part of their um, pundit team or whatever. Peter Walton did it with BT Sport last year, but he's retired. He's not. He's not in the game. He's a former referee. It's the same as having Uriah Rennie or whoever in in the studio. So it's not the same. And I feel like this this is just something which could have been so easily avoided by just letting him. Let him do his job. If he if he if he retires, then fine. Like hire him as as a as a thing. But I think that the the Premier League should have blocked this anyway. Like you can't. You're always going to be exposed to questions because it's a live broadcast. So you're always going to get a, questions where you're going to trip up um, and say something. And he's came out in this in the last couple of days and said that he said that um, it's been blown out of all proportion because he didn't mean mate as in. I want to protect him. He means mate as in all referees are my mates and I want to help all referees come to the right decision. And it was it was a guy trying to dig himself out of, out of a six-foot hole, to be honest, because he's put he's dug this hole for himself by saying something stupid 
um, and getting himself in hot water, which could have, just could have so easily been avoided by number one, him not being there, and number two, him not having that little chip in his head that makes him think I'm going to say this because it's it's in, it's interesting and it'll get me a bit of a, you know a few headlines and it'll make me sound interesting. I just think he's got that complex of like. He can't stay away from the headlines too much. It's just it's built in in him. He has to be sort of talked about, and I think that's hugely dangerous for a, a serving official in the Premier League to be on live broadcasts um, during games, which is 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 influenced by. But when you think about the amount of times we've sat on Football Social Daily and said, "Why can't we have more transparent referees? Why can't they come out and release the audio after decisions are made, like they've done in other European leagues recently?" And I think that's an indication as to why referees don't speak to the media. Because someone says something like what Mike Dean says, and it just alleviates all potential trust. Now, the next decision that Mike Dean makes when he's on VAR, if it's contentious, everyone's going to point the finger now and say that he's corrupt and that he's doing it to protect his friend. It's just, like you say, a hole that is really difficult to get out of. I thought it was honest from Mike Dean and I respect that to a degree. And kind of like what Joel was saying, I I kind of get where he's coming from to an extent and I respect how honest he was about it. But almost it's like, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that at all. Not not as a Premier League football fan when it could potentially cost your team. So that's going in the sea for me. That annoyed me. What about you, Joel? Is there anything you want to get off your chest this week? Yeah, I mean, it's just on the back of me being in Twitter jail and on the time that I was using it, I've just become so sick of media organizations on there at the moment namely sky because if you think back to when we did the episode on Delhi ali and how he was having mental health issues in football and it's probably contributed a lot to the criticism he gets from a lot of these organizations to be honest but then they're quick to be the ones first and foremost at the forefront saying oh let's be kind to these footballers you know they're young you know it goes back to when Jaden sancho first went to manchester united and they did that massive 007 graphic i mean it all looks very very harmless but the guy was 20 at the time if we all think back to when we were 20 how much that could have repercussions on you in terms of everyone jumping on the bandwagon and then i'm seeing here with kai havertz the same thing's happening to him don't get me wrong i don't think he's the right player for what arsenal are trying to do at the moment but i've just seen a massive you know five ten minute segment on them absolutely tearing him down doing all these different graphics basically manipulating data to make him look even worse than he actually has been and then every single one every single person on social media then jumps on it almost forgetting that there's a person behind this it's not just a, a video game character it's an actual person uh, who's trying to do his job and the fact that all these media organizations just push the agenda on social media constantly, I'm actually it's actually nauseating to be honest. I used to enjoy it back when I was 18, 19 and think, oh, let's, you know, let's take the piss out of all these different football players. But now it's actually got it's getting to a point where it's pretty poisonous. And it's it's actually creating a culture on Twitter as well, which I think is such a great platform for sharing football opinions and statistics and uh, tactics but I think you cross the line very very easily because there's a human side of this that everyone seems to ignore and yet they're the first ones when a player for example comes out and says he's got issues they'll be the ones who do a campaign on it they'll be the ones who are trying to protect them and say we, sh- we shouldn't be doing this we shouldn't be chanting this in the stadiums 
it's all a bunch of virtue virtue signalers a lot of nonsense a lot of pr going on where they'll protect themselves only when they want to push their own agenda so yeah it's just it's wound me up a lot to be honest social media in general around football it's not marrying as good as it used to be it used to be a really good place now it's a little bit toxic i would say all right that's what's going in the sea this week between the boys and i honorable mention though for those burnley fans who smashed up the villa bus i mean it's not looking good for you burnley fans is it at the moment and i know the majority of you are very well behaved and very good people but there was a small section of burnley fans after that strange aeroplane banner last year or two years ago and now smashing up the villa bus come on lads right we're going to move on next and we're going to talk about what happened at the weekend on the pitch in the premier league some interesting results and we'll go through them after this Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your award-winning Premier League podcast. And we're going to round up now some of the best games of the Premier League weekend, starting with Newcastle against Liverpool on Sunday afternoon. Were you in Greece at this point, Marley, still? Or had you made it back home by then? I was. I was um, kicked off at half six, half six Greek time. So I was... Uh literally tucking into my last meal in Greece and it was all going really well at first <laughs> and then, then the wheels fell off <laughs> well along with the Man United game against Forest that's probably the most dramatic match of the weekend Anthony Gordon opened the score and he looked really good I thought actually but the big talking point came on 28 minutes Virgil van Dijk was sent off for a tackle on Isaac Newcastle already 1-0 up what do you think Joel was it harsh some people say that Van Dyke got a bit of the ball. Some people say that it's a last man offence, so it's a red. How do you see it? Let me just translate. Some people is Liverpool fans that don't think it's a red card. Everyone with two eyes and a brain know that that was a red card because you just need to read the rules. I mean, he got sent off because his foul was outside of the area, so it doesn't matter if he had a genuine attempt or not to win the ball. It's a red card. That's it. It only applies when it's inside the box because now they've changed the rules this season which means that intentional fouls on a player through on goal will be a red card, but if it's an attempt to win it, then it'll be a yellow card. So if it's outside the box, they don't apply. So it's a red card. What was more alarming for me is when I saw the red card happen and Newcastle were 1-0 up at the time, I thought this could get worrying for Liverpool in terms of the scoreline because that's what typically tends to happen or has happened in the last year whenever you go to St. James's Park. But you have to give credit to Liverpool because they really rode the wave time and time again after that red card and then suddenly out of nowhere they've got two goals from literally nothing at all um and it's i think i think eddie howe is a massive learning curve i think for him that game because it's the first time i think he's ever witnessed something like that happen to his team at home which is that they typically blow teams away when it's 10 men but in terms of the red card it was a red card there's no dispute in that whatsoever yeah i think it's a red card for exactly the reasons you say the double jeopardy rule where if Isak was in the box, it would have been a yellow card for Van Dijk and a penalty to Newcastle because he wasn't in the box. Unfortunately, from a Liverpool perspective, the red card is the right decision. That's the way I see it. And although the contact was minimal, it doesn't really matter. He stopped Isak from doing what he wanted to do. What was Jamie do. Carragher talking about, by the way, when he said, oh, well, if you can't tell if he's through on goal or not, well, he cleared him out. So, of course, he was through on goal. <laughs> he said, how would you ever know? Because the ball was behind him. What does that even mean? That's the most baffling take ever. It's a it's a striker. He's he's probably he's on the edge of the D basically, isn't he? So he's 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 through on goal. If Van Dyke isn't there, he's one on one with Allison. <laughs> right. You can't get a bigger goal scoring opportunity than that. 
He was literally and Shane Given was Carragher's literally going, saying to him, um, he was through on goal. He would have been through on goal, but Van Dijk cleared him out, and he said, "Well, how do you know that the ball was behind him? The ball was behind him because it was about to go in front of him." Yeah, it but that's no like saying, "How do you know that he doesn't break his ankle in his next step and fall over?" I mean, like <laughs> it's impossible yeah. to know. But the whole point is, it's subjective to the point where if it's a clear and obvious goal-scoring opportunity, then it's a red card, which it would have been. Had he not been taken out by a sniper from Rose Ed or whatever, you know what I mean? Like you can't you can't mitigate for every factor that you know to to guarantee for sure that it's going to be a, a goal scoring opportunity. I think we all agree that it's the right decision, but I thought Newcastle looked shy. I'll be honest with you, they they didn't take their chances, they didn't capitalize on the moments they had, and then you could feel the momentum growing in the game in Liverpool's favour. They had a couple of corners. And then it just came through Darwin Nunez, who came off the bench and scored two really good goals. He took his finishes excellently, ruthless, I think. From a Liverpool perspective, really positive to see Nunez come on and have such an impact in the way he did. Yeah, I think um, I think Darwin Nunez is quality. I think he's really good. Um, he got a lot of stick last season, um, and he missed a few. And yeah, he, you know, he, he misses misses some chances he probably expected to score, but. I think he scores ones you don't expect him to score. And, you know, the, his finishes at the weekend, the first one in particular was, was ridiculous. I mean, the way he hits it, it you know, it, it it's inside the post by about two inches. It's accuracy on another level. He's beat a six foot seven goalkeeper who can, you know, cover cover the whole goal from the angle where he's at. And he's put it, he's hit it so hard and so accurate that it's a brilliant goal, but you know, by by that point Newcastle should have been out of sight. Um Allison's made a couple of ridiculous saves the one from Almiron's volley yes yeah is unbelievable mm. um the way the way he gets a palm on it and then even reacts to it when it's on the floor as well um is is brilliant but yeah I thought we we should have been out of sight Harvey Barnes had the biggest chance for me I thought when he threw on goal he gets caught in two minds and you can see it he slows down because he wants to pass it he doesn't and then the defender gets back in time and manages to snuff it out but um yeah we were we threw that game away big time. Um, I think Eddie Howe's substitutions were, were poor. I thought Bruno's been poor this season so far. Mm. Sandro Tonali was was probably our best midfielder on the day um, and gets taken off. Second game in a row, he's gone off and Bruno stayed on. Um, I don't get that. I really don't get that at all. Sandro Tonali can do 90 minutes. He's, you know, he's, not, he's not a sort of use him and let him burn himself out type of player. Mm. Do you think that's um, just an element of Eddie Howe off. thinking he's not played in the Premier League before and maybe he needs to get used to the intensity, but it's not like he's not able Probably, to play 90 minutes because as you he say... He scored six minutes like... into his debut and he, he's, he's, ran, he's ran the show against Aston Villa. He played well against City as well. Um, Bruno's looked like he's had a hell of a summer and he's just in second gear, whereas you know for, the, for his whole Newcastle spell so far, he's been... Streets ahead of everyone in terms of his the way he sees the game and stuff, and he's he's making the wrong pass at the minute. I feel like he needs to to if if Sandro Tonal is there doing the same job and he's doing it better, he stays on. Simple as that. They can play together, but they've both got to play well. It's as simple as that, really. But how made the same substitutions as he, as he did against uh, Villa and Man City? I think um, in terms of the ones where he there was a choice, um, and he got him wrong. So that needs to that needs to be better, especially when we play Brighton at the weekend, because Brighton away is is somewhere we've not particularly done very well uh, recently. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because Newcastle were said to have had the hardest start 
of all the Premier League teams this season. And after three games, two defeats and one win and a trip to the Amex next up, currently 13th place in the table for Newcastle. Obviously still early doors, but it's not going to get any easier with that trip to Brighton, is it, Joel, for Newcastle? No, and this is... Again, alarming because they've not even started their season in terms of Champions League fixtures, the League Cup fixtures, really testing the depth of the squad because I think Newcastle fans might be a little bit naive. They've seen all the other teams going into the Champions League in the previous seasons, but these are the top clubs where they've invested a lot over many years and made the depth of their squads so good. They almost makes it seem easy to transition into those competitions. Whereas I think for Newcastle, when these group stages start coming in and they've got a Champions League game every two weeks and then they've got to come back for a Premier League game on the Saturday, you're really going to start to see whether Newcastle can actually remain up there with the big boys. I think, to be fair, I remember when Marley was speaking about Newcastle after last season, after getting the top four, and I don't think you had massive expectations in terms of the league this season purely because you knew that the... The, the amount of games that are going to happen this season is going to be immense. And I think for Newcastle fans, it's almost a moment of perspective as well that you're only a year and a half into the journey with your new owners. This is, I think, such an expedited journey in terms of already getting Europe that I think you need to look back and think, gosh, we've actually come a long way. But then on the flip side, you almost expect it as well because they have such financial power now that there's almost expectation as well. I'm not saying to win the Premier League or win the Champions League yet, but to actually maintain themselves in it because they should have enough to have enough depth. But it's going to be tricky coming into September and obviously the Champions League draws this week as well, which I'm massively looking forward to. So, yeah. I think we'll be, I think we'll be fine. I think the, um, the, in terms of how we've played this season, we haven't played badly in any of the games. We blew Villa away. Had really good spells against Man City, just couldn't score. And then we should have, I mean, we threw it away against Liverpool. It's not like we were getting outplayed. Just three points on the board for Newcastle so far this season. And Wolverhampton Wanderers got their first win of the new campaign as well, coming against Everton in a 1-0 victory. And as much as that's a really good result for Wolves, let's look at Everton because that is now three games, three defeats, no goals scored, no points. It's looking really grim at the moment for the Toffees. We said that they can't let themselves get into a relegation fight for the third season in a row, Joel. But it looks like that is already the case. Just how badly are Everton in trouble already? And when does the pressure start to ramp up on Sean Dyche? Because that's a horrid start. Yeah, well, you heard the boos ring out um, during the game and after the game. And it's just almost a continuation from last season, isn't it? Where... They've just miraculously survived, but everyone forgets the games before that and how hostile it was at Goodison Park and how unhappy the fans were. And, you know, there was a moment in the game where they hit the post and you you almost heard Goodison Park from Manchester. It was that loud in terms of them thinking they just scored and it just got grabbed away from them. And obviously Wolves grew into the game massively after that. But again, we've been speaking about it for a long time now. Everton need a goal scorer. That's the bottom line. I know they've just bought Beto from Udinese for a good 25 million. He got seven or eight goals in Serie A last season. I mean... Who is that? I've never heard of him. It's, a, it's such a punt. It's a massive punt. And let's be honest, Everton have been making these punts for the last three or four years now. It's not even surprising to me. You know, they go for players who are playing for top teams, but on the fringes and then nothing happens and then they wonder why it's not happening because they just have no structure at the club. It's just all over the place. And it's quite worrying for Sean Dyche as well because usually 
obviously when we see his Burnley reign, going to Turf Moor with his Burnley side was always so difficult. No matter how good or bad they were, going to their ground was where they actually managed to stay up in the Premier League. You're going to Goodison Park now, and it's like walking in the park. I used to go to Goodison Park, not me. Manchester United used to go to Goodison Park, and I used to dread that fixture probably more than some of the top six teams because it was so intense and so hard to play in such a hostile and really close quarters stadium. Now teams are getting points there like it's nothing. That's the area where you're going to stay up. It's, it's, it's sad to see because that is such well, that's what kept a, them up last season. Going as Home well. form yeah, kept yeah, them up 100%. last season by, strangely enough, 1-0 scorelines. They beat Brentford 1-0. <laughs> um, they managed to get a point out of Spurs as well with a last-minute goal from Michael Keane at home towards the end of the season. So some of their home results really did keep them in contention to stay up. But when you look at the results this season, they've lost 1-0 at home twice. The first game against Fulham, they were unlucky. They should have scored. They had a goal ruled out, which I think was unfair. Uh, They really should have won that game, let alone get a draw. They ended up losing 1-0. Didn't see a great deal of the Wolves match, but I mean, the boos, I think, tell the story, Joel, as you said. And then Aston Villa, they lost 4-0 and that was away from home. So I'm not giving Sean Dyche excuses because I do think that we know how the game works. We know how Premier League football works. Like, If you don't win matches sooner rather than later it doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter how good you are you're going to get some stick from fans and you're going to get questions and I think those questions have already started to arrive for Sean Dyche I think they'll sack him I don't know when but they'll sack him and they won't get any better because he's not the problem like losing losing 1-0 to a Sean Dyche team it almost says like you've set up quite well like you've lost we've lost 1-0 in like the last minute that's because you kind of you kind of hard to score against at home because they dominated the game they just couldn't score and Sean Dyche Sean Dyche can't make you score goals at some point you have to you can make you defensively organized but you can't you can't have that bit of magic and you know they had a couple of goals disallowed didn't they and at no point did Neil Morpay come off the bench and that's that's kind of I know he's crap but You've signed, you know. I think didn't they sign a, uh, didn't they start a 17, 18 year old Dobbin on the wing? Played Dan Juma up front. Like Dan Juma is signed, he's a winger. Don't don't play him up front. But they're so, they're, you know, they've they've got such little options. Dom Dominic Calvert Lewin's made of glass. Cannot stay fit. Cannot can't even get fit. Never mind stay fit. Um, and yeah, there's there's massive problems there. Tom Cannon and. You know, Lewis Dobbin are not gonna, and Ellis Sims, I think they've sold him now, but they're not gonna be the problem, uh, the solution to the problem. So, you know, you're putting, you're putting all your eggs in the basket of can Michael Keane score a 30 yarder when we need him? Like, it's just, you know, you're, you're bashing your head against a brick wall there. Well, Everton bottom of the Premier League table after three games with, as we say, no goals and no points. Moving on though to Arsenal against Fulham, which is the final game we're gonna touch upon from the weekend's results. Drop points for Arsenal? You'd have to say yes, surely, wouldn't you, Marley? Considering they conceded in the first minute and they conceded in the 87th. And despite being 1-0 down until 20 minutes to go when they scored two goals in two minutes themselves to turn the game on its head, they then let it go again. So 2-2 the final score. But you have to say drop points, wouldn't you, for Arteta's team? Yeah, of course. And, and they were playing against 10 men for, for some of that as well. When uh, when Fulham got the equaliser, they only had 10 men because Calvin Bassey was, uh, was sent off. Um but yeah, it was it was it was weird weird performance from Arsenal because they they started slow and I mean their their afternoon was summed up by 
the fact that you know Saka gives away that pass to to Pereira, um, but Pereira completely miskicks his attempted chip over uh, Ramsdale, and Ramsdale gets his feet in such a a mess that he he can't turn around and save it. Um, so it sort of trundles past him on the on the the near side, and it's like, how did that possibly go in after forty eight seconds? Like, if ever that if ever it's not going to be your day, it's it's when things like that are happening, and then you had the the added um, twist of it was in Arsenal's hands for for so long um, that you know Saka scores and and they get the second as well with Enketia, and it's like right they've got away with one here, but still they managed to. To uh, to blunder it, and I think I think Arteta made a couple of changes, didn't he? And tried to play a slightly different way, and um, it didn't really work. So fair play to Fulham because I, I think Fulham might struggle um, towards sort of. Well, it, it all depends on what they do in the transfer window, I suppose. I think they're linked with a few players this week, so they need to um, need to sort something out because they've lost Mitrovic, and he's huge. He's seventy five percent of the goals, so you know they're uh, they need to. To, uh, to sort it out quickly and that'll give them a lot of confidence. I think it's quite timely for Fulham as well that Joao Paulinha is back in the side recovering from that shoulder injury just He's in time meant. when Mitrovic is He's left. so good. Yeah. I mean, he obviously he scored, he scored the goal, so didn't he? Good. But you just wonder why West Ham, I mean, you say that West Ham are second with seven points, but why West Ham decided against signing him, they thought he was too expensive and then he got injured. I just wonder whether he'll still be at Fulham in five days, six days time when the window closes. Because like you mentioned, Marley, he's a very good player and I wouldn't be surprised with central midfielders being really important right now, flavour of the month, that he might make his way as well. I think I think Liverpool should have got him. I think um, they went for Endo really, really quickly, didn't they? They just they kind of panicked and went, we need someone, we'll get him. And Endo might... It was rubbish against Newcastle, by the way. Yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't great. Um, but he might turn out to be... To be good, but Paulinho's is Paulinho 26, 27? He's, he's younger than Endo's, like 30. I feel like even if he costs Liverpool 80 million, you're going to get six years out of Paulinho. Um, and that's that's good value, in my opinion, because the guy's a monster in midfield. Well, funnily enough, we're going to talk about central midfielders next on Football Social Daily. Final part of the show coming up, and it's the final stages of the transfer window. We'll talk about it next on FSD. <laughs> Welcome back. This is your award-winning Premier League podcast, Football Social Daily. I'm Niall. Marley and Joel are with me and we're going to talk about the transfer latest in the Premier League because the window closes later this week. So we are into the final stages of business now. We're going to talk about Mohamed Salah shortly. But first, let's start picking up off the back of the last section where we were talking about central midfield players. We were talking about Joao Paulinho at Fulham, but it's Pierre-Emile Hoybier, the Tottenham midfielder that Manchester United are linked with. United fans are not happy about this, Joel. He's not the glamorous player that you'd ideally want in a midfield which has struggled in the opening matches at Old Trafford, but he's probably better than McTominay and it looks like he's going to be on his way out. So how do you see this whole midfield conundrum? Because it's been a big talking point amongst United fans, hasn't it? Honestly, if I had to get in the seas, it would just be United as a whole this week. I am absolutely seething with this link. And it's not because it's Hoybier, it's because we've been linked and we keep going for players who have either played under Ten Hag or Ten Hag has played against them in the Eredivisie. I mean, what is our scouting network doing? We have an extensive scouting network all over the world 
And the only centre midfielder we can find is flipping Hoybier, who's not even fancied by Postogoglu. What what is this club doing? Because this week we've been linked with Talia Fico, who played under Ten Hag at Ajax. We've been linked to uh, Ryan Gravenberch, who's played under Ten Hag at Ajax. We've been linked to Hoybier, who played under Ten Hag in Bayern's B team a few years ago. Why are we just trusting players that he's played under and why is no one having an input of the club in terms of analysis, in terms of extensive research on who fits the profile? You can't have a coach who does coaching and transfers because he needs to focus on what he's good at. No offence to him, but I mean, the Anthony transfer, that's purely because of him and what he wanted because he's played under him. So, I mean, he's a good player, he's okay, but I'd rather keep McTominay than go for him, to be honest. And that's purely because I think people are quite harsh on McTominay. I just think he's better going forward than he is going back. But if we go for him without someone else in place, maybe Graven Birch, who I don't think is a secure option, it's feeling like Ed Woodward has walked in the back door and has taken the reins of transfers again. Because this is what United of old would have done, panicked in the latter stages. We've been linked with Kukurea, we've been linked with Marcus Alonso. What the hell are we doing? Where are we going as a club? It started, you know, it's crazy. It started two weeks ago. I was on top of the world when we got Hoyland and then it was linked that uh, Maguire and McTominay would be going for 80 million combined. And then suddenly United thought, we're doing a little bit too well here. So let's just pull the plug. We'll do a chaos with the Greenwood situation. Mount and Shaw are now injured for the foreseeable future. We're linked with Marcus Alonso, who can't even get in the Barcelona team. I'm see I'm seething with this. Well, I think it goes even beyond that. It's it's not even the fact that Marcus Alonso can't get in the Barcelona team. It's issues in the past, let's just say. Um if anyone's not aware of what I'm talking about, then just a quick Wikipedia search of Marcus Alonso will tell you everything you need to know. Is it is it on his Wikipedia that he's also a completely useless left back? <laughs> he's one of the, Marcos Alonso is 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 the strangest player because left wing back is one of the best in the world. Left back cannot defend. Just gets absolutely abused at left back. He's he's, he's too good f- at free kicks though. Oh, he's got a great left wand of a left foot. He's he's the, you know, he's the modern day Morton Camps Pedersen with an absolute <laughs> brilliant left foot, but not much, not much else really. Um, he's poor. If Man United are going for him, that's that's just it's just panic in it. It's total panic. Cucurella is just as you know, short sighted and and bad really, but. As well, you're helping Chelsea's FFP if you if you go for Cucurella. So just try and starve them a bit more. I mean, because what you think will happen or what you perceive will happen is different to what you want to happen as a fan. So what do you want then, Joel? Niall, I want new owners. That is the best signing we could make this year, new ownership. Because this will continue and continue. We don't have a... Di- John Mert is meant to be the director of football. So why is Eric Ten Hag got that position now? We need we need a new ownership bottom line who is going to clear out all of this amateur executive nonsense and bring in real football people like what Newcastle did bring in Dean Ashworth who is renowned for what he's done at Brighton do what um so many other clubs you know Manchester City is the perfect example of it bringing the top executives from Barcelona Soriano um, Tiki Bellingstein, who all know exactly what they're doing in their roles. We've got John Murta, who basically was trained up by Ed Woodward. At Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs in the world, why is that acceptable? It is seriously baffling to me. 
the best signing we can do this year is getting the Glazers out, getting new ownership in and getting the real football people in who can guide the club in the right direction. Until then, we'll continue to see panic on deadline day, Fellaini-esque transfers. I would not be surprised to see Taliafico and Hoybier on deadline day. And that is shocking. Well, would it be much of a surprise also to see another one of the Premier League's big stars, Mali, go to Saudi Arabia on transfer deadline day because Mo Salah is once again in the headlines linked with a move to the Middle East. He didn't really feature as much in the Newcastle-Liverpool game as he might have done in previous seasons. Darwin Nunez was the man who sort of stole the show with his two goals. That's not to say Mo Salah isn't going to feature at some point for Liverpool this season because he's done that ever since he signed for the club in 2018, I think it was. He's been an incredible player for them. But we saw it in the Chelsea game on opening weekend where he threw a bit of a strop after being subbed off. He's not really impacted the game at the weekend against Newcastle and he's linked with a big money move to Saudi Arabia. Liverpool have had a bit of a reshuffle in terms of their personnel this summer anyway. Fancy Salah for a move to Saudi? What do you think? Uh, I don't think it's completely off. I think um I think he could be tempted. Um I don't get the the impression that he would turn it down um as as quickly as you might think. Um and I think as well if 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 Liverpool are uh are clever about this they could they could play it well. I think if you can get the fee they're talking about which is like quite a big transfer fee 70 odd million I think getting that is is good business because you don't have to replace him. Liverpool have got so many attackers. Um, you know, Jota, Gakpo, Diaz, Nunes, then they've got Harvey Elliott coming through, they've got Carvalho out on loan, they've got um a couple of others as well who who can play in that attacking formation. I feel like they could change the system and, and work it well. Um but it's it's that impact of like what what does Salah still give you? He still gives you you know, on a bad season, he'll still score you 15 goals. On a good season, he'll score you 25, 30. So it's that thing of like, is, there, is he 31 now? So how long can he keep keep it up? But I think now, financially, the deal is is tempting because of FFP restrictions. Um, it would help Liverpool strengthen again next summer. Um, and in the meantime, they've got a short-term replacement. So... I can see it working, but it's just that it's it's whether Liverpool rate him enough to to continue doing the business. There was all that situation about him. Uh, he was getting a bit annoyed that they didn't offer him a contract a couple of years ago, didn't they? Um, and then they finally sorted it out and made the obvious decision, which was paying what he wants. The guy's one of the best players you've ever had in your history. Um, and then a year later, you know, we're talking about this. Saudi have become a force um, in taking everyone, every man and his dog to, to Saudi. Well, so, not every man and his dog because Fabinho can't have his dog. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, yeah bad, <laughs> bad choice of words there. His little chihuahuas are... Uh, He's on. been left in Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know, it's one of them. They, they need to make a decision, but Saudi's always going to be there as well. So if he has a poor... A poor season this season Saudi will still want him next season because he'll be a 32 year old Mo Salah and he's still a hell of a draw for, for the Saudi yeah. Pro League I mean it's not like like you say Saudi wouldn't take him in even two years 
from now if the league is still established, which it looks like it will be. So, I mean, that's one certainly to keep an eye on because Saudi Arabia, I feel like they might want one more big marquee blockbuster signing to kind of sign off the transfer window with. So that's definitely one I think that could happen potentially. Um, whether Liverpool will want it to happen is another question. I think it would be a sad way for Mo Salah to go, to be signed by someone at the end of a transfer window, at the start of a new season, I think. It feels to me that Mo Salah, if he was going to leave Liverpool, would do something akin to what most club legends do, which is, right, I'm leaving in the summer. I'll play this season. This will be my last season. And then on that final day of the season at Anfield or wherever it might be, he can have his farewell, his swan song in front of the cop. I think that that would be a more romantic way for Mo Salah to depart Liverpool rather than him just to sign for a Saudi Arabian club six days before the end of the transfer window. Um, with no real send-off. But that's just my opinion anyway. Finally, we're going to talk about young Brennan Johnson, the Nottingham Forest wide man who's been really impressive actually since Forest returned to the Premier League. Still a lot of growing and a lot of learning to do, I think, in Brennan Johnson's game. But it's just testament to how impressive he has been and how good he's been really that Spurs and Brentford are looking at signing him before the window shuts. Do you think he's ready for the step up to a new club? And do you think it would be Spurs over Brentford if he is going to leave? I've been really impressed with him. I was actually really impressed with him when he played at Old Trafford at the weekend as well. Uh, on the right, I thought he was just a constant threat. He caused uh, Diogo Dallo so many problems on that left-hand side, just on the half turn, constantly or running in behind where no players could really track him. He's just very just fluid in that position. And I think now that I've seen what Spurs are like under Big Ange and how they're wanting to play, I think it would actually be, again, a signing like James Madison, just really shrewd, under-the-radar type signing. And I think it's testament to how much is being talked about. I think they've just recently had uh, a fee of around £43 rejected for him, which just shows how highly they're thinking of him. And the fact that when you look at Spurs' front three at the moment, or front four, if you want to think about it, the right wing, apart from Kulisevsky, which... I don't think he has as much out output as he did in his first six months. I do think they do need reinforcements in that area, and I think it would be perfect. I did worry about Spurs when Kane left, but I think it, teams always manage to find a way and adapt and fill the goals that the big player has scored because it almost feels like the team distributes to everyone else. They're not always just looking for that focal point of, he'll get us out of a game, he'll get us out of a game. Now, I think uh, Postacoglu is building something... Like I've always said, they needed a manager who's not going to come in for his CV and not for his glories and his honour mentions. He's going to come in and build something from the ground up. And I think this kind of signing proves what he's trying to do. Um, probably a little bit too much of a high fee, but I mean, he scored eight goals last year in 33 and that was a really struggling Nottingham Forest side with you know the chaos of 20-odd players coming in. He made a name for himself in all of those plays. I think for, for uh, Tottenham and for Brentford, let's not forget as well, they're in for him too. Uh, for either one of them, I think it'd be a really good coup. Is Brentford a step up from Forest? In terms of where they're going, no. I don't think so. I think Nottingham Forest are going to go up another level this year. I think they've really settled the team. And I think... Brentford are trying to think of life for after Ivan Tony, if I'm not, on, if I'm honest. Well, I mean, Forrester are a bigger club, aren't they? And yeah, of I course. Think... But in terms of who's better now, of course, Brentford are, are better now. But I mean, in terms of future outlook, the Forest owner showed he's he's willing to yeah. invest. I think Spurs trumps a lot, doesn't it? Under under Big Ange, like you say, what we've seen so far has been pretty good to watch so far. I think that's it for today's Football Social Daily, lads. So go and get your heads down, recover from a, a week in Greece and a week Clicking in Twitter. <laughs> 
<laughs> a week in the slammer. <laughs> For Rice <Jill>. and beans. <laughs> That's it from us. Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way you won't miss any episodes. As I mentioned at the top of the show, still going through some operational changes here at FSD right now, but stick with us because we'll be back to full guns blazing before too long, I'm sure of it. So if you do hit follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, that way every time there's a new episode, you'll be notified so you won't miss it. But that is it from Joel Marley and I for today. Catch you next time on Football Social Daily. See you then. Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.